Okay. So we are set to record. Okay. So, yeah, just tell me about um, kind of how you decided to run for office and what that experience has been like for you. Sure. Okay. So uh, I'm Senator Sarah Howard. I represent District 9 in the Nebraska Unicameral Legislature. Um, And uh, I made history when I was first elected to the legislature because it was the first time that a daughter had ever replaced her mother in the history of the state in the legislature. And I actually had no intention of running for politics. Um, I, uh, my mom got elected and I immediately left town and went to Chicago and went to law school and didn't really have that great of an intention of moving home. Um, but then my, I, I uh, got my first job out of law school working at a nonprofit policy group that did maternal and infant health policy. So basically I was trying to get health care for moms and babies and it was my dream job. I was really excited to be there and I'd been there for about a month and my sister passed away back home. And uh, I had a really great grief counselor and I talk about that a lot because I think there are people in my position who don't talk about uh, needing help especially mental health help. And um, she said, don't make any big decisions for a year. And so I didn't. But then after that year was up, I just knew that everything that I cared about and everyone that I loved was back home in Omaha. And so I moved home. But when you move home in your late 20s, all of your friends have uh, gotten married and having kids or uh, they've also left. And so... Um, I started spending a lot of time with my mom and I would follow her around all these different Mm -hmm. events like neighborhood associations or, um, lobby, lobby events or, uh, special interest group events or union meetings. And at almost every meeting that like first, uh, first couple of months when I moved home, uh, somebody would come up to me and say, you know, I just want to introduce myself and I'm Tim and I walked your mom's dogs when she had late nights in the session and I'm Roberta and I, uh, brought hot dishes over for your mom on Tuesdays after your sister died to make sure that she ate yeah. or I'm buff and I took her to church on Sundays. Yeah. So I just felt like there was this community that was taking care of my family, taking care of my mom when I couldn't be there. And so when I decided to run, it really wasn't about this incredible salary because I make $12,000 a year. Um, uh, it was really about giving back to a community that had taken care of my my mom and my family when I couldn't be there. Um, That was my story for why I wanted to run for office. But when my mom decided to run, it was a little bit different. And I feel like her story is equally relevant. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when men are running, they, um, they say things like, well, I just always wanted to do it. Right. Or I, uh, it was always in the back of my mind that I would run for president or I would run for legislature or, um, or uh, they, there's sort of this, uh, a very deep-seated ambition that is more culturally appropriate for men and oftentimes it seems. And when my mom decided to run, it was a surprise to me. So she'd been working as a social worker, a frontline social worker for the state of Nebraska for over 30 years, which we don't, I don't know how many social workers we have now who have worked for decades for the department because it's a very difficult job. You're working with families who are in crisis and Um, she was so angry and so fed up with the way our state government was treating kids. She just felt like we were failing them left and right. And even as somebody who was working on the front lines, 
she felt like the way it was administered by the executive branch was not taking care of families in the way that they should be taken care of. And so she, when she decided to run, it wasn't about, um, obviously it wasn't about a salary for her either, um, uh, but it was really about sending someone to Lincoln who was just a normal person who clips coupons and, and pays their bills and worries about making ends meet um, and going down there and saying, there are families who are worse off than me who need a voice in the legislature. And so when she started, when she first ran, everybody told her she was going to lose, like everybody. Um, uh, she was up against a very well-funded candidate from the opposite party who was a man. And they said, well, you're a widow and you can't self-fund and, and you know, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so my mom, my sister and I, just the three of us in this very close-knit group, um, the three of us just knocked every door and talked to every person who was going to vote and um, just really poured our hearts into running uh, because I just knew that she would be good at it. And I knew that she would go down there for all the right reasons, right? Um, and so uh, she and she won, which was incredible. And then she immediately, she won, and I immediately left town. Like, uh, she got sworn in in January, and I had left by July to go to law school. And so I was so proud of her, but I was always proud of her from afar. And then when we lost Carrie, it was like the whole world just shifted. And, I mean, I remember it. Mom remembers it because she was on the floor of the legislature when they called her and said, you need to come home. Uh, something's wrong. And I think when we look at people who are running for office now, I, the most important question to me is always like the why. Why are you here? What are you going to do for the people who you actually work for? Mm -hmm. I always feel like when I got elected, I got... 40,000 new bosses, and they don't always agree, but I think the thing that I can do for them the most is is always work in good faith, and always work hard, and always listen. So I spend a lot of my time, my recess days, um, doing the things that my constituents want me to do, whether it's meeting with them, or after this I'm going to go speak to the student council at Jackson Elementary School, um, because it, to me, this is a this is a job about service, and I think there there are enough politicians in the world, but there aren't as many public servants. And so, um, my mom was certainly a public servant, is a public servant, and so I got lucky that I could follow what she's done. So yeah, what else can I tell you? Um, I think it's it would be great to capture too how you made history, right? When you were elected and yeah. took the seat from yes. your mom. Yeah, so that was the first time. So I, uh, since then, I've sort of made history in a lot of different ways. And Nebraska is one of those states where we're, we're a fairly young state in terms of um, government. And so it was the first time that a daughter had ever replaced her mother. We'd had sons replace mothers. We'd had sons replace fathers. And we'd had uh, fathers replace sons. Um, but we'd never had a daughter replace her mother. And then um, this year I was elected to chair the Health and Human Services Committee. I'm the youngest female chair we've ever had in that position. I'm the only female uh, Democrat who's in a leadership position. 
which we're officially nonpartisan, but um, uh, that's important. Um, I, uh, what I'm known for nationally is my work around opioid uh, overdose, o- abuse, over, uh, opioid abuse and opioid overdose uh, prevention. Mm-hmm. So um, my sister had, um, she had gotten sick. So um, she'd been in a series of car accidents and had gotten whiplash and had really bad back pain. And um, she was really young. She was like in her 20s. Mm-hmm. And the doctors were like, we don't know how to fix this. Like it's crazy that you're in your 20s and you have this crazy back pain. And so we're going to recommend a spinal fusion. So the bottom lower vertebrae of her back, they did a spinal fusion. And when she was in the hospital, she was given a morphine drip. And then when she left the hospital, she was given like a water bottle sized pill bottle of Oxycontin. And I'd never, I didn't know what it was. This would have been in maybe 2002, 2003. So none of us really knew what we know now about uh, opioids and prescription drug abuse and that sort of thing. And so we send her home and she loves them. And when you've had back surgery, you're not actually allowed to go up and down stairs or at the time when you'd had a spinal fusion. So I came home from college and just like took care of her, right? She couldn't go up and down stairs. I made meals, um, helped her bathe, and then um, uh, and then gave her her meds. Well, what we would find out is that if we left, so like mom would go to work because mom was uh, still working as a social worker at the time. Um, mom would go to work. I would like run to the library, go to the gym. And she would come downstairs and take more pills Mm. because she had taken enough Oxycontin that she couldn't feel the pain anymore, which pain is your friend. Mm. It's telling you that you should stop doing something. And so she would come downstairs and steal the pills. That was the first time that we thought that maybe there was a problem. But it was also uh, the same time that HIPAA was enacted. So when I would call the doctors and say, I'm very scared and I am very concerned that I'm giving her too many meds or I'm doing this wrong, they would say, unfortunately, because of HIPAA, I can't speak to you about your sister or her condition or anything. And this was when um, she, we first... She, we first introduced the idea of doctor shopping. I know what it is now. At the time, I didn't. And so she had her doctor who did the surgery. She had a primary care doctor. And then she had an emergency room doctor that she had seen prior to the surgery. And she was able to get all of them to prescribe her varying amounts of Oxycontin and hydrocodone. And so from 2003, when I think that's when we really lost her to addiction, until 2009 when we lost her. Uh, for real, um, she would get better, and she would, and then she would relapse. That's the way it is with addiction. For most mm-hmm. people with a substance use disorder, um, things get better, and then they get worse again. Um, and um, and so she had been actually com- completely clean for maybe uh, nine months before. Um, before her last relapse, she had, she had gotten engaged and we were planning her wedding and we bought her dress and we were, um, getting all the stuff done for that. And then she went to the dentist for some oral surgery. And I want to say she had like, she hated going to the dentist. (laughs) Like there's, 
our dentist, uh, Dr. Steiner, actually stopped doing wisdom teeth after her because he, like, doped her up, told her what he was going to do to her wisdom teeth, and she said no and wrapped her head around her legs around the light. So he doesn't do wisdom teeth anymore because of her. Um, so she really hated going to the dentist, and so she gets this oral surgery done. They put her out, and then they send her home with Oxycontin and hydrocodone. And within four, four and a half months, um, not only had she been given... Uh, over 4,000 separate pills, uh, separate narcotic pills, but she had, um, but she had overdosed and, and we lost her. And so it was just one of those things where we didn't know what it was at the time. And 2009 people were not talking about Mm -hmm. opioids in any meaningful way, in any way that made sense. And, um, and so after we lost her, in 2011, my mom passed the first prescription drug monitoring bill. It was maybe one of the first in the country. Um, And prescription drug monitoring uh, programs are essentially databases for drugs. So you can see what's prescribed and you can see what is dispensed. And so if you are a practitioner, you can say, oh, I I suspect that you're overutilizing pain medication and you can go into the prescription drug monitoring program and you can see what's going out to every patient. Um, So uh, she passes the first one in 2009. It has a prohibition on utilizing state general funds and she embeds it into our health information exchange called NEHI. NEHI is basically an information highway for electronic health records. So if you get into a car accident in Kearney, mm-hmm. um, your medical records from Omaha, uh, your doctor can see them and provide you with better care. Um, she embeds it in the health information exchange, which is a completely new idea for the time. And then I don't tackle this issue for years. Like I still sometimes have a hard time talking about Carrie. I'm getting much, much better at it. Um, but, uh, but just talking about the fact that she was sick and Um, that she needed more than we could provide. But so I revised, I basically revised everything my mom did in 2011, a couple years later when I was serving. And we made our prescription drug monitoring free for all providers. Uh, Basically every medication that is dispensed in the state of Nebraska goes into it, which means that physicians can do med reconciliation, right? It's not just, they don't just see Oxycontin, they also see um, every schedule of drug that you might be on and they can talk to you about how they work together mm-hmm. or don't work together. Um, we capture cash pay. We've made it accessible to, um, uh, uh, to I believe it's every provider. So dentists would be able to see mm-hmm. it as well. Um, but we really sort of revolutionized the way that we were handling it. It's still embedded in the health information exchange and then it interfaces with it seamlessly. Um, so the product of all of this work, and there were a couple of other bills, we have great Good Samaritan laws around Narcan and Naloxone, and we um, have started putting caps on opioid prescriptions, say, for minors. So if you're a child, you're not able to um, get more than a week's worth of, uh, of an opioid. Um, uh, and so what we've seen from all of this work is that... Um, our opioid overdose death rates have gone down. We are one of the only states in the country that's seen a reduction. Oh. And so um, 
I get asked a lot, I travel a lot in the interim and go to other states and talk to them about what we did because it is so unique and it is so nuanced um, because we only have one health information exchange because we had a provider group that was willing to share their information. And then we also had legislators who were willing to sort of take the political stance of, yes, we're going to share this information. Yes, we're going to keep it private, but we also want to make sure that um, providers have the information that they need. So it's one of those things where uh, when I started my legislative career, I didn't want to talk about it. I think we had my first hearing I sat in on that had anything to do with opioids. I actually had to leave because I was just kind of upset. And I called my mom and I was like, I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. I had to leave a committee hearing. And she was like, people leave all the time. Like, you're fine. <laughs> um, which uh, it's, that's what's nice about having a mom who had your job before you. Um, but yeah, it's I'm, I get excited about this work and I'm certainly going to miss it. I'm going to miss working on policy because I think um, uh, I, I think that's really how we move the needle on some of the biggest issues in our state is by creating policies that reflect our values, whether it's a value of making sure that uh, individuals who are addicted to opioids aren't treated like criminals, rather victims of an illness, or whether it's a value of um, making sure that everybody has access to food or the type of assistance that they need. Um, I just feel like policy has really been become my calling to make sure that uh, the state of Nebraska is the best place to live and raise a family and, and spend your days. So I feel really lucky that I moved home and that that was where the universe sent me. Yeah. But yeah. So anything else I can tell you? Um, no, I think that's a great introduction for those who want to know more about your experience oh, getting yeah. elected to government and how you've used um, personal experience to help um, protect others. So, thank yeah. you. Cool. All right. Did it work? Sorry, we're getting um, the Medicaid expansion on Monday. So everybody's freaking out. Yeah, I have it marked on my calendar. The plan's supposed to go public, right? Yeah, it's not. Um, is this still recording? Um.